So what is your former occupation? Well, she was a debate professor. I was, yes, I was. Uh... So I was a commercial lender. So I was, uh, had been a banker in the Houston area for about 17 years before I went into uh, the ministry. And um, I will tell you, it has paid huge dividends for me, having had that finance background and that experience. Uh, perhaps God does know what he's doing, calling second career people into the ministry, because I had my doubts about his call for me. I was not quite sure what God was thinking. <laughs> I, I was pretty much thinking things must be really bad for you if you're calling me to the ministry. I had no idea things were this bad, God. So, but that's my former Former occupation was uh, primarily a commercial lender. There was a time when I owned a business uh, for a little while. So um, <laughs> thank you for the softball, whomever this was. What is the name of your sailboat and why that name? Well, the name of my sailboat is Sanctuary. And it's so that when I'm out sailing and you call the church office, they can tell you Mike is in the sanctuary. <laughs> And they won't be lying. I will be in the sanctuary. <laughs> That's the reason for that. But plus, um, it also sort of speaks to um, what it is for me. It's a place where I can go and have quiet and um, be with God and the wind and let it push me around. And so it, it sort of, uh, it does, its name does both of those things. <laughs> This is just about me. Okay. Okay. So, Mike, what is the biggest fish you have ever caught? Um, okay, I, well, now they're just asking you to lie. Well, yes, I'm a fisherman. <laughs> um, I was bone fishing in the Yucatan, and we spent a half day offshore fishing, and I caught about a five-foot-long mahi-mahi uh, or dorado or dolphin. It's the same fish. Um, but it has all of those names. But he was a good size, so it was fun. Best sailing experience, um, Harvest Moon 2015, I think it was. That's a race that goes from uh, Galveston to Port Aransas. It's basically a really long sail for a really big party is basically the gist of it. But it's a competition. And in 2015, me and my crew of four, which included my son and another Methodist minister, we won our division. So we were most excited about that. So um, here's a question from online. What can we do right now to slow, stop, or reverse the secularization of our community? Wow. Um, wish I had that answer. I mean... I, yeah, you got any thoughts? I mean, I think that one of the things that we can do to um, slow the secularization of our community is invite people to church. Um, so many people don't have a church home. And so <clears throat> the secular activities of the seasons, are, that's what they have. So inviting them to church to know the, the joy that comes from this community uh, would be a huge way to slow that. Yeah, and I mean, it's... I think you, you can be an example of it, right? You, you can be an example of what God's love is in the world by the way you live your life, by the way you interact with even your waitresses. I mean, act like you're a Christian, even if you're getting lousy service, right? Um, but I think 
We in the church sometimes are really fearful about the word um, evangelism or evangelistic. And, um, you know, the simplest form of evangelism is really found in Scripture. And it's how the first disciples found Jesus. And it was come and see. Just come and see. And, and I think that we, as members of a church that is vital and is growing and making a difference in the community, can just invite our friends and neighbors that might not know God, that might not have a church home, and say, come and see what God is doing at my church. Come and see what God is doing in my life. And, you know, we have to make sure, we talked some about it the other day, but we, we have to make sure we're not the hypocrite, right? That we're saying, I love everybody because I'm a follower of Jesus, and then we act like we don't, right? And so, um, uh, you know, the secularization is, you know, so rampant. And I think it's just sort of one person at a time uh, that we, we can make, make the difference. And I think we as a church can make a difference in our community by making a difference in other people's lives. So um, I don't have a really easy answer. Um, what's been the hardest part of being in the pulpit again? Um, Sunday comes every three days sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, the, the hardest part for me is um, uh, funerals, um, seeing people in, in grief, and I'm a fixer at my heart, and I can't fix that. I, I just, I can't. Um, I, I know that God is with them, and I know that they have friends and family, but I, I know that only time will actually heal that hurt, and the presence of the Holy Spirit will help heal that hurt. But because God made me a fixer, um, that's really hard for me to be able to really do nothing. I mean, I can pray, which is something, but I mean, I want to make it better. And the truth is I can't. And so that's, that's sort of the hardest thing for me. Um, the best um, is getting to walk with you all through your lives. Um, I love preaching uh, every Sunday. Um, that's a great thing, and it's a privilege to preach God's Word. But the, the biggest part of it for me is um, just being able to walk through with your lives, be a part of the baptism of your children, and confirm them later, and be with you in the good times and the bad times. Um, that's really a holy privilege for me to be able to walk through your lives with you. I hope to be here a long time to walk a long ways with you all. So how about you? That's a, uh, well, you're that new was, to the pulpit. I'm new to the pulpit. So, and that's it again. That was definitely for you. But <laughs> yeah, I'm, I think that since I am new, the hardest part so far has been um, going from a lay person to a clergy person learning um, what to let go of and let other people do and what um, I can really do as just me. Like what, what gifts specifically do I bring that I need to do and what can I allow other people to do which allows them to grow in their faith and in their gifts. And so that's been um, a challenge as I move from lay to clergy. What's the best part? Um, I mean, all of it's the best part. Yeah, it's really great. Um, like you said, walking with people as they, as they journey through discipleship is 
a very special privilege. Okay, here's one from online. How does God answer all the prayers? Is it like a voicemail? <laughs> or does he somehow hear them all at once? Well, have you seen Bruce Almighty? <laughs> he just has a computer that just says yes, yes. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, you know, that's uh, a question I don't know the answer to, really, is the bottom line. None of us does. It's sort of a mystery of, of a God that created the universe, right? I mean, I have heard stories of people that that see prayers as sort of a, a ray of light that goes up. Um, I do believe that God answers our prayers. Um, sometimes he gives us answers that we don't want. Um, sometimes we're really praying a prayer for confirmation. Hey, I want to do this, God, is this okay? And so, and that's, that's good. I mean, we want to be in relationship with God. God wants to have a conversation with us in our life. And for me, in my prayer life, that's, that's sort of how it is, is I, I um, kind of have conversations with God. Um, I occasionally have this image of climbing up in my father's lap, and usually it's in my bed, but just sort of sitting on his lap and having a conversation. And um, sometimes he talks back. Um, not in an audible voice, but it happens for me in my heart. Uh, and I think that all of our prayers do get answered, and sometimes it's no. I mean, there's an old saying that sometimes God says no, sometimes God says go, and sometimes God says grow. Um, but I think we do get answers to our prayers. I think sometimes it's hard for us to hear them because life is so loud around us. Um, we got to put our social media down. we got to put the TV remote down. We've got to put stuff down to hear what God has to say for us. So um, I don't know how he hears them all, though. I mean, it's the mystery of a God that created everything, right? Um, but I trust that he does. So yeah. you want to add anything to that? No, I mean, how God hears all of our prayers. I mean, it's, we often, everybody has a different vision of God, right? But you know, it's not like there are literal ears <laughs> listening through a voicemail. Uh, but again, it's one of those holy mysteries. I think one of the really important things that we can do in terms of our prayer life um, is to obviously talk to God, but then to sit and listen for those answers. And um, when I hear, how does God answer our prayers? For me, my prayers are often answered in times of like contemplative silence when I can just sit with God and do nothing else for maybe two minutes, three minutes, five minutes a day, but having that holy practice of, of just sitting and being and hearing um, is a time when I can suss out some answers to things that I've been praying about. Because it's a two-sided conversation. We can't just talk, 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 talk. We have to listen as well and be uh, mindful of uh, where God is working in our lives and paying attention to um, how God might be speaking into our lives. So here's one. This is like in the stump the pastor category. So <laughs> how many days did Joseph, Mary, and Christ Jesus stay in Bethlehem? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there's a question about how, how is that uh, documented. I really have no idea exactly how long they stayed, uh, but I I, I know that at one point um, they left. In the Gospel of Matthew, 
um, the angel Gabriel comes to Joseph and says, basically, um, Herod's sending some people after you. Um, you better go to Egypt. And so they do. And they're gone for some period of time. And then the angel Gabriel comes to Joseph and says, come back. But I don't know exactly how many days um, that yeah, was. I don't know either. And I think sometimes with these kind of stories, we get really caught up in the details. We want to know exactly when and where and how and why it happened in the, in the order that it did. Because just in our, the way that we think, we think literally in a linear way. Um, whereas I try to look at the the bigger picture, so I, I don't know all the details. I don't know the specifics of which day and how long and how many days, um, but I can still glean the truth from the story, uh, the truth of God's grace in our lives, the truth of obedience um, that Mary and Joseph had to the messages that they received from the Lord, uh, and that's what I, when, when it gets frustrating that I don't know the details, I just focus on those big truths. Cool. All right, here's one. I see all the lights in the sanctuary are working. How <laughs> difficult was this to get done? Amen. Wow. Well, I will tell you that there's a little thing up there, and I repelled from there, no. and I changed each and every one of these lights myself. Okay, Spider-Man, you have to tell them the truth. <laughs> <laughs> no, we had, we had a great company called Voss Lighting. Um, that They also did the lights out in the parking lot. And they came in and they brought in um, kind of a spider lift of sorts. It was kind of like a cherry picker. And they were able to reach every single one of these from the location right here. Um, Deborah, they moved the pew that you were sitting in and uh, the one across from it. And they had legs that were sitting in it and they were able to change all of them, which I'm kind of sorry that we fixed all these because these are halogen. <laughs> it makes it these much are hotter. Really hot. yeah. It's much hotter up here. <laughs> than fun, it used to be. Fun fact, I didn't know this, there are 10 bulbs in each one of these pendant lights. Um, I just thought that was really interesting. Um, okay, here's one from online. Um, who's your favorite theologian and why? John Wesley? <laughs> because I'm a Methodist, right? Yeah. Um, one of my favorites is a German named Jorgen Moltmann. Um, he's not a classic, he's not taught in school a whole lot, but I had an opportunity to meet with him and his wife Elizabeth uh, in Germany. And um, he was a prisoner, uh, he, was a, he was in the German army during World War II, and he was a prisoner in England and endured a bombing by the Germans. And in that, he really came to Christ. And he has this understanding of, standing of Jesus suffering with us, that he understands our pain and our sorrow and our grief. And um, that, that really uh, speaks to me. And so, uh, and maybe because I got to meet him too, but um, uh, that was, he is one of my favorites. So how about you? You have a favorite? Um, well, I guess... Other than John Wesley, we should have brought our little bobblehead. Um, <laughs> uh, a modern theologian uh, would be Henry Nouwen, who has um, a lot of writings. He was a Catholic priest and um, just wrote a lot about the grace and the love that exists within a community. Um, and he wrote a lot about brokenness and how um, even when we feel broken or we feel lost or we feel lonely, uh, we can still serve God and count on God and... Um, be connected to the body of Christ. 
Um, okay, here's one. What's the, this is online. What's the story behind the stoles you're wearing now and the ones you normally wear? Green for Leanne and camo, which is green, for Mike. <laughs> Were they a special gift or do they have a history? So, well, the, the two that you're referencing, this one that I have right here was made by my wife. So she cross-stitched each one of these and then had them uh, put on the material. And um, little known fact, she did it while I was coaching my daughter in softball in the stands. I had no idea that she was cross-stitching this. And so at my commissioning, it was, it was a gift. Um, the green camouflage stole that I wear uh, was a gift uh, from uh, a woman at a church that I went and spoke at in New Mexico. Um, they had a men's conference and I was a speaker there and I preached that Sunday. And um, the, this particular woman made stoles. That's kind of her hobby. And so she made a camo stole for each one of us sort of in celebration of this uh, men's ministry in uh, First Church, Albuquerque, New Mexico. So those are the stories behind mine. you have any stories behind yours? So the green one that I normally wear was given to me as a gift by my parents um, upon my commissioning. Um, it, I really love it. It's um, got in, uh, sewn on the inside a special message from them that I appreciate whenever I put it on. Um, and that was really the only one that I had. Uh, green, by the way, is for ordinary time. The, the Christian calendar year, as we move through, we wear green for ordinary time, which is kind of most of the year. Blue for Advent. We wore those blue ones for the last few weeks. White when there's a sacrament, such as baptism or communion um, on Christmas, on Easter. Um, and so there's not really anything... Um, there's no story behind this one. I needed a white stole, so it was pretty. I bought one, and, it was, and it's pretty. It is pretty. <laughs> I, buy, I bought it, and the, the one that my parents bought me and this one is from um, an uh, online store called Serendipity Stoles, and it's a woman who is a clergy woman who also is a very talented seamstress, and she uh, makes beautiful stoles. But the story behind the paraments and these stoles that we wear is it goes with the season of the year of the church. So the church has a year. It starts with Advent. And so ad, the color of Advent is uh, blue. We choose blue or purple. It can be either one. And so uh, then Christmas, we'll be wearing Christmas until we'll be wearing white until Epiphany because it's Christmas. And then as Leanne mentioned, we wear white when we're doing the sacraments. So if we do a baptism, or you'll notice on the first Sunday of the mo month, we wear white because we're doing communion. And so then as we move into uh, Lent, uh, we'll be in purple. Uh, and then Easter will be white again during Eastertide. And then um, at Pentecost, we wear red. And so there's a season of Pentecost where we'll wear red. So, and the pyramids change as well. Uh, our pyramids are white because it's Christmas. And we also had a sacrament today. Mm -hmm. So... And Mike wears what is called an elder stole because he is an elder. Um, and I wear this uh, crossways stole because I am a deacon. And so a deacon and elder are the two different kinds of clergy in the United Methodist Church. They're separate orders. Um, and so that's the elder stole and this is the deacon stole. So here's one from online for both of us. In each of your opinions, what have been the biggest successes and biggest opportunities for improvement at AUMC in the last year? Okay. 
Um, that's not a hard one, really. So, um, I mean, I think one of our biggest successes um, was dealing with the freeze. Um, you all were awesome in dealing with that. You know, you recall we had to move six classrooms, seven classrooms, and the office from the weekday from the Life Center over here. And I think almost 100 of you, uh, including the teachers, showed up to make that happen. And um, there was no crying or weeping and gnashing of teeth. It was like, dang, let's fix it. And, and for me, that was one of just the biggest successes. And I know Sunday school classes had little people chairs in there and um, nobody complained, nobody whined, everybody just dealt with it um, as good Christian adults, honestly. And you know, while we were doing that, we were able to uh, improve storage over there. And uh, it, I don't know if you've been over there, but it's almost like a new building over there. Um, and so, I mean, to me, that was one of both a great success and an opportunity for us because we had the opportunity to uh, A, not let it get us down and B, um, make things a little better over there. And so, um, and I think, you know, I think one of the, the greatest opportunities that we still have is to have a closer tie with the weekday learning center and be better about um, getting families from the weekday learning center to come and be a part of the life of this church as well. It remains our single largest ministry and um, we need to figure out how to use it better still. Ditto. That's exactly what I would say. Okay. Um, this is, what is your hope for AUMC in 2022 and how can we help achieve it? Pray for your pastor, please. <laughs> this one anyway. I need it always. Both of us. <laughs> so um, my biggest hope is that we, we continue uh, to grow both in number and in our impact in the community. I mean, this church has such deep ties into the community already. And, and I'm looking for ways that we can do more, that we can be more, that we can make a greater impact. Um, you know, our trustees have really the last year and a half or two uh, had the resources and have been able to really tackle things like the lights and air conditioning, and they've done a terrific job with that. And uh, Dara uh, has done a really good job of scheduling maintenance and all of that. And so um, that's, that's been great to see. We've kind of dealt with some of the, some of the uh, deferred maintenance items, and so we're really feeling pretty good about where we are physical plant-wise right now. And so um, I really would like to see us make a deeper impact in the community and uh, have some impact on, uh, going back to a previous question, the secularism that's happening in our community uh, by inviting people to be a part of this. So you have something? Well, you might remember earlier this year, um, Mike uh, rolled out for us a new mission and vision statement for AUMC, um, enriching the lives of children and families by leading you to live, love, and serve like Jesus. And so I think in 2022, we need to think more about that and uh, be more mindful of it with everything we do. So children and families, um, because so many of our ministries do impact uh, children, such as Weekday Learning Center, Saturday's Child, Family Promise, um, Kids Hope, 
but then families includes all different kinds of families. So whether it's just you or it's you and a spouse or you and grandchildren or whatever your family looks like because they come in so many different ways. Um, we hope to enrich the lives of not only our families that here are, are part of our congregation, but also, like Mike said, um, engaging those that are in the community um, that we reach with our, our different ministries um, by leading all of you to, um, to serve and to love those people. And like you said, back to that secularization question, um, if all of us commit to fully living out um, our commitment to Christ, uh, then um, with, with our actions and with our words, if necessary, then we can be that, that beacon for the community and, and help to fulfill that mission statement. Okay, here's one from online. Um, would you baptize a baby born to a gay couple since many of your parishioners are not supportive of gays? Um, the answer to that question is absolutely. Uh, if those people are a part of our church, uh, they're members of our church, which is a requirement for us to baptize children, uh, I would baptize them. And here's why. Baptism is not a political statement. Baptism about that child, that child being incorporated into the body of Christ, whether the parents are same-sex couples, whatever, that's really not relevant to me. If they're a part of this church, there are members of this church, which again is the bar for us to baptize your child, I would baptize the child because it's not about the parents. It's not about what they believe other than do they profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And our current discipline allows for people that are gay to be part of our church. And so um, when I was ordained, uh, I promised, I swore, uh, that I would uphold the rules of the United Methodist Church. And baptism is really about the child. That child is a child of God and deserves baptism. So um, that's, that's the answer to the, uh, the tough question. I told you I hadn't turned any down yet. So um, let's do one more. Um, what's your best joke? My very best jokes I can't tell in here. So, I was a banker, you know, I mean, no. So, um, uh, I have one that about uh, Sunday school that I'll tell sometime. I'll work, I'll work on that one. So, um, let's see, one more. Okay, before COVID, the Methodist Church was going to vote on separating over the inclusion of the LGBT, LGBTQ community do you see this coming back up next year? So the answer to that question is we have a general conference uh, to talk about that issue and others uh, scheduled for August of 2022. Um, the current debate in the, Method, in the greater United Methodist Church is whether that's going to happen or not. Um, I don't know uh, if that's gonna happen or not. Before Omicron showed up, uh, I'd have said it was maybe 50-50 that they would meet, uh, but given the different nations' reactions to it, um, I, I don't, I'm not hopeful that that particular thing is going to happen, so it'll get pushed back. I don't know till when, um, but I mean, that's, we're waiting on that meeting to happen, um, and 
I, I will tell this to all of you, which I said this same thing at the town hall meeting. Um, we have zero say in what happens at this general conference level. And we're, we're going to be done to by whatever is decided by our general conference body. And we don't know when that's gonna happen. And um, once we have a decision to make, I'll let you know and we'll make the decision that we need to make. But in the meantime, we gotta keep the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is Jesus. The main thing is making a difference in this community and being the hands and feet of Jesus in this community. And I will also add, treating people that disagree with us as a brother and sister of Christ. Amen. That's, that's the main thing for us right now. And as soon as we have a decision to make, I'll let you know. Uh, so in the meantime, let's be the best church that we can be. Let's be what Christ is calling us to become. And um, let's treat each other like we're all brothers and sisters in Christ because the truth of it is Christ died for everybody. Nobody is less worthy or more worthy than the sacrifice that Jesus made. And so we need to treat each other as somebody who is worthy of Christ's love, just as you. So um, it's not, it's 11 o'clock. So, well, no matter what happens, you'll beat the Baptist to Luby's or, um, <laughs> or the Mexican food restaurant because you're getting out a little early today because we started at 10. So, well, thank you for uh, playing along with Ask the Pastors. Um, uh, I hope it was, it was fun for me. Was it fun for you? Sure. I am sweating a little bit. <laughs> so, um, but I think this is an opportunity to, for you all to get to know me a little bit better as a person and uh, for you to ask questions that might have been bugging you. And um, let me say this, my door is almost always open. Uh, sometimes I close it when I'm working on sermons, but um, you are always welcome to stop by and see me. If you have any questions about anything, you can pick up the phone, you can come see me. Um, you can send me an email. Chances are I'll pick up the phone and call you because I don't like responding to emails with complex uh, answers, right? Email is great for when and where. Um, if you wanna know why, um, I'm gonna pick up the phone and call you. So, um, but my, my door is open to you and I'm happy to answer any, any questions that you have. So let's pray. Gracious God, what a joy it is to gather as a church family, to be in this place celebrating Christmas, loving one another. What a joy and privilege it is, Father, for me to be a part of this. And I give you thanks for that. 